morning, everyone. This morning I have the honor of reading God's word, which is Matthew 8, 1 through 17. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, which with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does that. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly, I say to you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and from the west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many that were oppressed by demons, and he cast out spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we want to lift up these scriptures to you, Lord, and have Jackie expound upon them, Lord, and Lord bless him as he, as he uh, leads us into teaching, Lord. And we also lift up uh, uh, tomorrow to you, Lord, Memorial Day as we... We want to say thanks to all those who have given the all for our freedoms here in the United States, Lord, we, that we take for granted every day of every year. Lord, uh, forgive our sins, and we lift this all up to you. Amen. Now the little kids can uh, go to Sunday school. As we continue our journey through Matthew, Matthew 8, 9, and 10, we're going to see a series of threes. I'll, I'll expound on that a little bit more in the weeks to come. But today we get to see three specific healings. Now, I'm always intrigued, and I, and I hope you will be as well. I'm always intrigued by why. 
Why these three? Uh, you go through the pages of Scripture, and there was never a situation where Jesus tried to heal someone where they didn't get healed. He never failed. If Jesus touched someone to heal them, they were healed. If he laid his hand on a dead man to raise him from the dead, he rose. Jesus had great authority, great power. We see it throughout his ministry. He healed people far beyond any we could probably lay count to. It was probably pretty hard to be sick around him. But Matthew tells us these three. He picked these three. He's like, I, I want to focus on, on these three. In Exodus 15, 26, the word tells us, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Now we know from Exodus, people have a hard time keeping their part of the bargain, right? The Lord says, walk with me, obey my word, and I'll take care of you, and so far, the, the one common denominator in history of men is nobody's done it yet, with the exception of Jesus. So as we, as we look at it, one of the things we want to recognize is this concept. I am the Lord, your healer. Throughout the prophets, the Lord said the same thing. Now, part of the concept in the Old Testament way of thinking, looking for Messiah, was that Messiah would carry with him those attributes. That's why when Jesus stands before the scribes and the Pharisees and they say to him, hey, uh, by what authority do you do these things? He's like, are you not paying attention to what I'm doing? So you guys know you've never seen this in your life. No, I'm not saying you've never seen someone healed. You've never seen what Jesus did. Ever. I know there are teachers out there today who would say, well, nobody's ever supposed to be sick. But the problem is that that flies in the face of the word of God, right? We read about it in Acts. We read about uh, Paul. We see Paul uh, praying three times that a thorn in his flesh would be removed. You remember what God said? He said, no. My grace is made perfect in your weakness. My strength, the strength of God, we see in our weakness. God allows things into our lives. We, we suffer. That's part of this world. But part of the recognition of who Messiah is and why that's important was laid out for us in the word. When Jesus touched you, you were transformed. Keep that idea in your mind. And think about this, Isaiah chapter 6. You guys remember the book of Isaiah? Isaiah, you have a prophet. It says in Isaiah chapter 6, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. You guys know where I'm talking about? <clears throat> Isaiah is brought into the throne room of God. And as he's standing before the throne room of God, he's standing before the Lord, Isaiah says, Woe is me. Why? I'm impure. I'm sinful. I'm unclean. I'm unclean and I'm before a holy God. I'm about to melt. That's, that was what they would think in the presence of God. We, you and I, mankind is not equipped to stand before a holy God. 
So God did something interesting. He told the seraphim to go get a coal from the altar. And he brought that coal and he touched Isaiah's lips. You know what he said next? Your sins are purged. You who were unclean have been transformed. Now you're clean. Later on, you have a prophet named Ezekiel. Ezekiel has a a dream. He has a vision of of the temple. People will argue forever what the temple is. You can ask me tomorrow. But the temple of Ezekiel, one of the things we see about the temple of Ezekiel is from the temple, the, the presence of God, you have flowing from the temple living water. And everything that water touches is transformed. It's changed. Jesus said, through scripture, he lays out for us that we are the temple of God. And he says, out of his servants will flow fountains of. And what do you think that's supposed to do? For all of time for the nation of Israel this is what they understood if you're unclean and I touch you I become unclean if you're ceremonially impure that doesn't even necessarily mean sinful it just means I'm not I'm not in a state of purity the Bible tells us that the concept of being in a state of purity to worship God hinged more on your association with life and not with death. In other words, if you touch someone dead, you were ceremonially unclean. If, you're, if you were in your menstrual cycle, because that indicated the, the end of life, you were ceremonial unclean. You're not, you're not a sinner because of that. It was just saying, now your body is associated with death. You're impure. You're not allowed to come into the presence of God. So you'll, you'll make a sacrifice, be made ceremonially clean so you can stand before God. That's what Isaiah understood when he was standing there before God. But God gave a highlight. This is the highlight. That he can transform you and take you from unclean to clean. That's pretty amazing. Nobody had ever done that before. And if you see that picture flowing through the Old Testament, coming into the New Testament, when you read stories like like the ones we're going to look at today, that's part of what we're going to see, right? We're going to see a leper cleansed. We're going to see a Gentile's prayer answered. And we're going to see a woman. Now, those three would not have been on the register for any Jew anywhere. Would not have cared about any of them. The leper is forever unclean. There's no hope for him. The Gentile is made for the pits of, of, of hell. He's not, there's, no, there's no hope for him. And unfortunately, in their world, women had no value. But that's not true to God. His answer to all of those things is, you have incredible value, and I, Jesus Christ, I can transform you. So that you who were once a child of wrath can become a child of light. Not because of something you did, but because he 
touched you. This is pretty incredible as we look. It says in Matthew 8, 1, Now when he came down from the mountain, this is from the Sermon on the Mount, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. So a lot of people are interested in what he could do and what he was saying. And if you remember the Sermon on the Mount, the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount was your righteousness has to exceed, has to be greater than the most righteous person you've ever seen. So you need something better than a list of do's and don'ts. What do you need? Transformed. So what's the next thing Matthew's going to show us? Three times Messiah transforms someone with a touch or a word. So this crowd follows him, this great crowd coming behind him. Matthew 4, 25, if you remember, it said, Great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and beyond the Jordan. So there's a lot of people. Matthew 9 We'll read, now when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke, the crowds marveled. They're amazed. They had never seen anything like this. And I'm telling you, I don't care who does what healing crusade. I'm actually sorry if you watch any of those. But if, if that's your thing, you're into that, none of those guys can hold a candle to Jesus. Jesus never failed. Ever. If Jesus touched you, you were changed. It's not like, oh, Bob, I thought Jesus was going to change me and he couldn't. That, that's, that doesn't exist. That's not reality. Everyone Jesus healed was healed. And he was healed right now. Done. Finished. Lame man, stand up and walk. Right? Withered hand, fixed. You were sick and Jesus healed you. It was instantaneous. So this great crowd is following him. His fame is going around. People are starting to talk about him. And the hopeless are going to come. Now the big crowds, Jesus is going to be moved with compassion for them because they're like sheep without a shepherd, right? But, but it's interesting how many times the gospel writers introduce us to the hopeless in the story. To tell us, hey, here comes a hopeless guy. It says, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt, knelt before him. So, so just so you know, every person in that circle, wherever around Jesus, when this leper comes up, they're all freaking out. They're all yelling at him. They're all shouting, unclean, unclean, unclean. But he is not moved by their shouts or their derision or their vitriol. He just wants to get to Jesus. So he, he gets there. He comes and he kneels before him. Now, so many times we read the stories and we sterilize them so much, we take all the reality out of, the, of what's going on, right? So there's all this noise, big crowds. This guy comes up, an unclean man. If you were a leper, people knew, right? Your ear's missing, your fingers are gone, whatever things are, are not the way they ought to be. It was not a question. I wonder if this guy has leprosy. He looks just like the rest of us. No. He looked radically different, right? He was cut off from society forever. So, so he, was, he was immediately cast out. And so he comes to the Lord and he, he gives first a term of respect. He calls him Lord. He says, Lord, 
Lord. It's like, it's like using a term, uh, master. It's, it is a term of respect. He kneels before him. He, he comes before him in an attitude of humility. And then he lifts his eyes and he says, if you are willing, you can transform me. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have had this moment. You've had the moment where you come before him, where you fall on your knees before a holy God, where you recognize that you can't save yourself, and you lift your eyes to heaven, you beat your breast, and you say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. If you are willing, you can transform me. And the beauty of this story is first what Jesus says and then what Jesus does. He says to him, I am willing. Now, that leper had never heard anybody say a kind word to him in years, right? The moment the leprosy appeared on him, he was an outcast, lived in a leper colony, uh, he never had contact with a human being from that day, unless it was another leper. And so he, the first the Lord says to him, I will, and then he says, be clean. And the scripture tells us, he touched him. He could have done anything, but he touched him. And all those things we were talking about, the coal that touched Isaiah's lips, the river of living water that touches the earth and heals the earth, in fact, makes the dead sea live again. That which is dead comes to life. That, that sounds like something, doesn't it? For we who were once dead in our trespasses and sin, he has made us alive together with him. That this is a work that Christ is accomplishing and doing Jesus reaches over and like that coal, like that living water, he touched him. And in opposition to everything that human beings knew about God, rather than Jesus becoming unclean, the leper was cleansed. That's amazing. So Jesus, now you, you might ask yourself, well, how, how do we know? Well, his ears weren't falling off anymore. His, the leprosy was gone. The leprosy was gone. In fact, it says immediately <coughs> his leprosy was cleansed. I want you to recognize this about Jesus. This is why I say, that I, I don't want you to misunderstand me. Does God heal today? Yes. God's the healer. Man can't heal anything. God is the healer. God brings healing. He absolutely heals today, and this is how he does it. That's how he heals. Man, when God does it, I remember Kathy and I, you know, you guys have all heard stories like this, but uh, I don't even know how long ago. It was 20 years ago, maybe, we, we were praying for a baby that was going in for surgery, and literally the next day they canceled the surgery. The doctor said, the baby doesn't need surgery. Now, I didn't do anything. That's God. Amen? That's what God does. God heals. And he can use us at standing around in circles, anointing one another with oil and, 
in uh, obedience to the word, asking that God would heal. He's the healer. Amen? And those whom he heals, they're healed. Uh, and those that he doesn't, he has his reasoning. Right? I, that's not mine. That's above my pay grade. My pay grade is just to say I will trust and obey. I put my hope in you. So, but this is how it happens. That leprosy is gone. And then Jesus said, now don't tell anyone. People always ask, why did Jesus say don't tell anyone? It's not time. There's going to be a day when Jesus tells everyone to speak up. But that's not this day. So this day, now I, don't, I just want you to understand. I don't want you to miss this. He says, don't say anything to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest. So I know this guy is a Jew. It's a Gentile, would not go to the priest, right? So he's telling this Jew, go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a proof to them. I don't want you to miss this. So if you get a chance, go and read Leviticus 13 and 14, which talks about the sacrifice that was to be offered when a leper was cleansed. Do you have any idea in the lifetime of the priests around the time of Jesus when they ever did that? Not one time. You got to go way back in the Old Testament, and then they're Gentiles that God heals from leprosy. So you have these two chapters in the book of Leviticus that tell you what to do when a leper's cleansed, and nobody's ever done it. And in the three year ministry of Christ, you have people coming every day to the priests at the temple saying, Hey, I need to make an offering because my leprosy was cleansed. That should have been ringing a bell to everyone. Messiah has come. The one who is able to transform your life. When we talk about salvation, we often talk about the idea that when we have come to a relationship with Christ, we've been saved by Jesus Christ. I've been transformed, and it looks like that. My leprosy is gone. That doesn't mean I don't struggle in sin. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying my life is changed. If you feel like you've been walking with Jesus Christ and nothing in your life has changed, you need to go back to the beginning. Remember from where you have fallen. Repent. Because the Lord tells us that getting saved is like the dead coming to life again. Like the leper being cleansed. It's a big change, significant change has occurred in his life. Can you imagine? We're, we, we won't read about it today, but the scripture tells us that Jesus healed 10 lepers once in one moment, right? So you have 10 lepers showing up to the, to the temple at one time. What are you here for? What are you here for? What are you here for? Oh, I'm a leper was cleansed. 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 There's been nothing like it since. Jesus Christ, he is the way. Leviticus 5.3 says this. If he touches human uncleanness, of whatever sort the uncleanness may be, with which one becomes unclean, and it is hidden from him, when he knows about it, he will be guilty. The point of Leviticus 5.3 is this. The the clean person touching the unclean becomes unclean. 
unless you're Jesus Christ. And you have the power, you have the authority as God in the flesh to transform. That's why Matthew's telling us these stories. <coughs> Jesus has the authority to do what ought not be able to be done. Now the second story we have is a Gentile. Look at it in Matthew 8 verse 5. And when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him. How many times do you think that happened? How many times do you think a Roman centurion who has authority in the Roman army over a hundred men, so it's not a little guy, it's an important guy in the military structure of the day, who is part of the army that is there in the land of Israel, well, let's just put it to today. How many times do you think a Palestinian in an oppressed part of Israel today goes to a Jew to ask them for help? Any guesses? I'm going to go with none. Now, now, will they throw a rock at a Jew? For sure. Would they throw a rock at a Roman? In that time of oppression, was Rome their friend? Oh, no way. You see a centurion coming, you either went the other way or spit somewhere that he might walk in it, but you didn't do too much. So you have this Roman centurion that comes forward to him, appealing to him. Now, I don't want you to miss what he says. A Roman centurion with authority over 100 men says, Lord, He's used to other people saying that to him. When a soldier would come up to his centurion and say, hey, you know, I, I need to go home on leave. He'd start that with, hey, Lord, would it be okay? Because the centurion has authority. The centurion has power of life and death over his soldiers. Right? He has that authority. So he comes before Jesus, and first it uses this phrase, he's appealing to him. So the soldier is coming to him, and it's not like he's coming in all blustery, you know, with a big group of guys around him, and he pushes through the crowd, and he's making a demand on Jesus. He's appealing to Jesus like the leper did. Because it does not matter who you are. How high in the, in the realm of mankind, how many people would bow before you? It doesn't matter. We all come to Christ the same way. He comes before the Lord appealing to him and says, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. The word often translated in the King James, the word palsy, the word literally is paralyticos. It, it just means there's some form of, uh, uh, they're, they're paralyzed in some way. It could be like cerebral palsy today. It could just been an accident. Their legs don't work. It could have been, this word would have covered all of those things. So this Roman centurion is coming to him. And we know from the other gospels that this is a child. It's a child somehow in the service of this Roman centurion who is suffering because of his uh, paralyticos. And the centurion 
hears about Jesus. So let me ask you a question. Did the Romans know what Jesus was doing going around town? A lot of times we disconnect ourselves from the story of the gospel and we think all these things were done in a, in a shadow somewhere that nobody saw. When Paul gives account before King Agrippa, he says, King Agrippa, you fully know all these things were not done in a corner. You saw them. The assumption that Paul, before when he was Saul, before he gets saved, was not privy to what Jesus was doing is crazy. The Romans knew. The centurion comes and he says, Lord, my servant is paralyzed. He's suffering. This man is unclean. A Jew would not talk to him, would not give him the light of day unless he was required. They, and if he was, he would become ceremonially impure. Oh, this is a Gentile. Oh, you don't want to talk to those people. But here, Jesus stands before this Roman centurion and he says, I will come and heal him. Now, I don't believe Jesus is lying. Do you think Jesus lied? It was against pharisaical law. Is that a good word? It was against human tradition for a Jew to enter into the house of a Gentile in any way. Now, do we know Jesus came to knock over some of, some of people's ideas? Yeah? Some of these he's going to do on the Sabbath, so he's, he's going to rattle the cages. He says, I'll come heal him. What do you think that did to all the people standing around him? Now, two things. That guy's a Gentile, and not only is he a Gentile, that's the oppressor. Uh, to kind of maybe stir up the passions today, uh, he's a white supremacist. Whatever, whatever term you, I don't know how to make it sharp enough so that you understand how vile this man was to the crowds around Jesus. Huge crowds following Jesus, right? And everybody in that crowd hated that guy. And they hear Jesus say, I'll come to your house and heal him. What does that do with some of, some of our ideas and attitudes about people? Jesus, Jesus says, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, listen to this. Lord, I'm not worthy to have you under my roof. Look, there's not, there's so many examples of this in the scripture. When Jesus said two men went down to pray. One prayed thusly, I thank you, I'm not a woman, or like that dirty tax collector over there. And the other guy beat his breast and said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that one left justified. That one left cleansed. When this centurion is standing before Jesus and saying, my house is not worthy of your presence. That is the sound of a sinner standing before his Savior. I'm, I'm not, there's nothing in me that makes what you're going to do for me, um, somehow I earn it. There's, there's no way. The centurion says there's nothing 
I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy for you to be under my roof. And then he says this phrase. All you really have to do is say the word. And he'll be healed. And this is what he says. I am a man of authority. I say to this man, do this, and he does it. I say to that man, do that, he does that. The Roman centurion understood authority. I too am a man under authority. With soldiers under me, I say go, he goes. To another come, he comes. That's exactly how it is in the military. I don't care how you go in. Yep, I remember in walking into boot camp wondering to myself, what in the world have I done? These guys were yelling at me. We used to say they give us stupid pills because all of a sudden the concept of taking a 30-inch step with your left foot was impossible. They would line us up in a line and they'd, say, they'd make us say, they'd make us say when they were calling us to march, we had to respond with a 30-inch step with the left foot, aye, aye, sir. And then we'd step with our right foot and they'd scream at you. What is wrong with you? Are you stupid? And I would say, yes, I'm stupid. I don't understand why I can't do this. <laughs> I remember my drill instructor telling us the first night, they don't let you sleep for like four days. So after four days, you're willing to do whatever they, whatever you say, I, I'll do it, whatever. He said, I'll tell you, go over to the airport, which we thought about the airport a lot while we were in boot camp. Go over to the airport and get a plane and bring it to me, and you guys will do it. And I remember thinking that first night, there's no way. And by the time 13 weeks was up, I'd have done whatever he said. That's authority. The centurion says, I understand authority. You speak the word, and it will be. That's pretty incredible faith, no? So when Jesus heard this, he marveled, and he said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you. With no one in Israel have I found such faith. I've not seen this faith in, in all of Israel. Who, who was he come to? The Bible says in John, he came to his own and his own did not receive him, right? But to as many as did receive him, to them he gave the authority, the power to become children of God. To move from Children of wrath to children of God. To move from dead in trespasses in sin to alive in Christ. It's beautiful pictures that we see. So he understands authority is the key point. It's the key to all of this. Does Jesus have authority to transform your life? In, uh, in verse 10 he says, Now <clears throat> with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you. Many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Now, there are some people who think when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, he is not talking about salvation. He's talking about something else that's particularly for the Jew or, or something like that. But the point of this whole story is there's going to be Jews who aren't going to be there. The Gentiles will be. The kingdom of heaven is entering into the place where Jesus Christ rules and reigns. As king, you enter into the kingdom of, of heaven the moment you give your life to Christ. You're part of the kingdom of heaven. There's an already and not yet. Already, we're part of the kingdom of heaven. Already, anywhere Jesus is king, you're in the kingdom. But there will be a day when physically he will be present. Amen? 
So we already are a part of the kingdom, but it's not yet. There's a day when Jesus Christ returns. Amen? And when he does, anybody ready for that? Yes. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> oh, Lord have mercy. Yeah, it does sound really good. So here's what he says. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown out into outer darkness. So the Jews were given a lot of advantages over the Gentiles. To them were given, according to the book of Hebrews, the oracles of God. They had God's word. They knew what God required. They knew the things that we talked about at the beginning, right? That, that the story of the Bible tells us there's coming a time of transformation. We saw it highlighted with Isaiah. We saw it highlighted with Ezekiel. Jeremiah says the day will come when the Lord's going to write his law where? On your hearts. He's going to transform you so that the Lord is with you and in you. That's what we know as the new covenant. When the Old Testament or the Old Covenant closed, there was 400 years of silence. That way nobody has to wonder. I wonder if God's finished with this idea. The 400 years of silence, nobody talking, and then all of a sudden a prophet appeared. His name? John the Baptist. And he said, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin. The one who's going to transform us is here. So the, the revelation has come. And so the, the problem, and we see it in the church today in some ways, the problem is this. The Jews believed they had uh, the authority or the place within the kingdom of God just by birth. Sometimes today Americans think that, well, of course we're Christians, we're Americans. Or, you know, I live basically a good life. I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm sure that the Lord will invite me in. None of that transforms you. If the cold doesn't touch your lips, you can't enter into the presence of God. Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter into the presence of God. Unless you have been transformed by the touch of Jesus Christ, there's no entrance. So not for the Jews either. So for them, if they reject their Messiah, is there salvation in any other name? There's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. If they reject their Messiah, there is nothing else. And so Jesus is saying, some of you are hoping in your lineage, in your traditions, but you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. A relationship is Jesus, with Jesus Christ is what is necessary. That moment, what do I mean by relationship? That moment, like the centurion or the leper where you're on your knees before God, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Lord, you can save me. That, that moment, have mercy on me, a sinner. That moment that transforms the life of men and women to enter into the kingdom of heaven. He says, many will be thrown out in outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, what's the point of that story? To tell you what you don't want to be. Do you have a problem identifying which one is the proper path and which is the bad one? So we don't have to ask a lot of questions about what's that mean? Gnashing of teeth and outer darkness. Okay, it's bad. Is everybody okay with that? Is that good enough? It's bad. There's two paths, blessing, cursing. Which one sounds better to you? Whoa, tell me about the curses. No, 
Curse bad, blessing good. Choose life. Death bad, life good. Amen? It should be. This is not, this is not a test you should be able to flunk. Life is good. We want to choose life. We want to follow the Lord. So to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done as you have believed. And from that moment, his servant, that child, was not paralyzed anymore. It happened because Jesus said. How is a life transformed? Because Jesus said it. Jesus said this is the path to life. To be touched, to be born again, to be changed from the inside out like a leper or like a paralyzed man. It's a work that Jesus Christ does. Then we have our third example. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. So now we have a woman. She's sick with a fever. She's not really responding. In the Gospel of Luke, it says, He arose and left the synagogue, entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with high fever, and they asked him on her behalf. So the disciples say, Hey, Lord, Peter's mother-in-law. She's By the way, if Peter has a mother-in-law, he's... Thank you. So, <clears throat> so he has a mother-in-law, and the mother-in-law, they're, they're healing the mother-in-law. Mark 1.30. Now Simon... Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with fever. Immediately, they told him. They told Jesus. They go into the house. They tell Jesus she has a fever. Scripture tells us here in, in Matthew 8, 15, he touched her hand and the fever left her. Transformed, right? Now you, now you have a woman. Now you have a woman. And unfortunately, in that time in the world and for a lot of days after that time, right, there was no value. They didn't allow girls to go to school. Still places in the Middle East, young girls don't go to school because there's no value. Why would we educate you? Your job is just to, do, to fulfill these purposes within, within their societal makeup. That's, that's not who Jesus is. A lot of times people ask me about all the things, all the horrors that have been done in the name of Jesus Christ don't make Jesus guilty for our horrors, do they? No. When man fails, that's just man being man. That's what we do. Jesus doesn't fail. And Jesus doesn't fail to love no matter where you are in the societal hierarchy. Whether you're at the top with a centurion or at the bottom with a leper or somewhere in between as a woman, it didn't matter to Jesus. He could transform them all. He could make them more than they were with a touch of his hand. It says the fever left her and she rose and she began serving them. Now, that's not because that's what was required of her. That's what she wanted to do. If you know Jesus and you've been touched by him, if you've been transformed by the touch of Christ, your response will always be to serve. What can I do for you, Lord? 
uh, what can I, whatever it is. You know, sometimes we use the gifts we have or the things we know, and that's all good. That's okay. But the response of those who have been touched by Christ is always to serve him. Now look at verse 8. I'm sorry, verse 16, chapter 8. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. Everybody they ever brought to Jesus that he tried to heal, he healed. Why is that important? Because everybody who comes to Christ to be transformed by the touch of Jesus Christ can be transformed. Jesus doesn't fail to save. He doesn't fail to heal. He is, he has no lack of authority. How much authority did Jesus say at the end of Matthew was given to him? How much is that? Uh, That's all of it, right? So he has all authority. So they, they come to him. Now, this is Jesus' whole ministry for three years. Everywhere he goes, what do they do? They bring him all the broken. They bring him all the sick. They bring him all the hurting. They bring him all the people that need a touch from God. And what does he do for every single one? He touches them all. He never failed one. And he will not fail doesn't fail everyone that comes to Christ and says Lord have mercy on me a sinner if you are willing you can make me clean Jesus Christ will touch and cleanse and transform and save because that's what Jesus Christ has come to do. Now, everyone won't bend the knee and call on him from a state of humility saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Everyone won't do that, right? Is everyone saved? No. But if everyone's not saved, they're not saved because they won't. The Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he. What do you think he's talking about? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Every one of these. Peter's mother-in-law couldn't even talk. It was somebody else who said, Lord. Lord, you, you can touch her. You can transform her. You can change your, he did this. Look at verse 17. This is where we'll stop today. Verse 17 says, this was done to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. You know where he's quoting from? He's quoting from Isaiah for sure. He's quoting from Isaiah. He's quoting from Isaiah 53, right? He's the suffering servant. And the point of the suffering servant is, the story of the suffering servant is that the suffering servant is taking upon himself the iniquity of the people. He's taking upon himself the brokenness of the people. He's taking upon himself 
the frailty of the people. He's taking upon himself all of those. He is transforming them. The Bible says that they will look upon him and esteem him stricken by God, smitten by God, because he's got to be a bad man if he's suffering in this way. But the scripture says, but he has taken our infirmities upon himself. He's taken our brokenness, our weird stuff, our... Anybody got baggage? He's taken our things, whatever that is. He has taken that. When Jesus Christ transforms your life through the atoning sacrifice that he made at the cross, we sang about that last song, right? Jesus Christ, he, he deserves all praise for what he accomplished for us at the cross. Amen? What was he doing there? He was taking all that stuff and killing it. And why could he do that? He could do that because his life can end. He could die for you because he can't be killed. I know it'll melt your mind. You spend a little time thinking about it. That Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, in the flesh he could die, right? His flesh could die, but he couldn't. And when he rose from the dead, what is he, pro what is he proclaiming? He's proclaiming the victory's won. Now, you and I, we have battles every day. Amen? Every moment. Sometimes moment by moment by moment. Battle, 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 battle. We have to remind ourselves not to get out of the battle. Not just to be uh, complacent. Not just to be apathetic. Not just to say, well, there's nothing for me to do because Jesus Christ already won the battle. No, you've got your stuff to do. You have your things. God has placed on your heart that you're supposed to be a part of. You are his servant, right? As a, as a, a believer in Jesus Christ to... Whatever it is that he's laying on your heart to do, do that. But don't let yourself get discouraged and say nothing's changing or things aren't happening the way I want or it's not. Just keep moving forward. The victory's won. Even if it feels like you're losing. Because we all look around and we say, Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but if I look in Scripture, I know what you've done. You have changed my then you can change this community, this family, this city, this state, this world. Is there something he can't do? We need to learn the lesson that these three learned. Coming before holy God, being touched, transformed, changed, serving him. And knowing all he has to do is speak the word. I always remind myself, right, the disciples, the first time they're in the storm, they freaked out. They woke Jesus up. Lord, don't you care? We're dying. You ever felt like that? <laughs> Lord, don't you care? We're dying. You wake him up. You got to save us, Lord. You got to save us. So the Lord came out that time. And he said, peace be still. And the storm stopped. And the disciples said, who is this that the wind and the wave obeys him? Do you know the answer? Yeah, that's God. The next time they're in the storm, the Bible says Jesus went to a high mountain and watched his disciples. And they're rowing. 
and the storm comes and they're rowing and they don't stop rowing. They keep rowing. Do you know why? They learned the lesson of the storm. At any moment, my God can say, peace, be still. So I don't have to be afraid of the storm. I just keep rowing. It's in that moment, in the storm, Jesus came to them walking on the water. You remember the story? He's walking on the water. They're rowing. Peter lifts up his eyes. He's like, is that a ghost? I think it's Jesus. So he yells out to him, Jesus, if that's you, bid me come. And Jesus says, come. So Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, right? Lost sight for a moment, started to sink. Jesus saved him, just like he saves us. Jesus saved him. And in a moment, they were on the other side, through the storm. We got to learn the lessons of the storm. We got to learn the lessons of the authority of Jesus Christ. He is able to do abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. The victory is assured. The battles we have to endure. Amen? But learn the lessons that Jesus has taught us and keep moving forward. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. <clears throat> Again, uh, this morning, we're going to have a time of prayer after service. We're going to close in prayer right now. There'll just be some quiet music playing. I just ask you if you... If there's something you'd like to come forward for prayer, there'll be, there'll be elders around, deacons around on the sides. Wherever you see someone standing, not moving, they're probably there uh, able to pray with you. If you'd like prayer, we want to encourage you to come. If you need prayer, if you're facing difficulties, uh, you know, whatever things might be going on, that's what this moment is set aside to. We just want to honor that. If, uh, if you've got places to go, we understand. God bless you and go in peace. And, for those who can stay and pray, we just invite you to, to stay and, and use this time to focus uh, in prayer. And, uh, and we'll pray together here and enter into that time of prayer. Father God, we, we thank you for the teaching of your word, for what your word declares to us. God, I pray that we could, we could understand. Matthew could have picked anybody. He, there's millions of healings he could have talked about. He, he chose these three. Three people that represent uh, different castes within society, from the lowest to the most hated to maybe the most apathetic. But each one was one Jesus was willing to touch. Each one, one Jesus would heal. Each one, a life Jesus would transform. Each one would be a lesson to recognize that God is able to change us from the inside out with a word, with a touch. That he who is most holy is able to transfer that holiness to us. That he who is most righteous is able to transfer that righteousness to us. That's how we're born again. Not because we have become something better, but he has touched me. He has clothed me with his righteousness. God, I pray that we would recognize and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we need you more than we need anything else. And if we have you, then 
and we have everything we need for the battles that we face. God, I pray that you would be glorified and magnified in this place, Lord God. I pray that your spirit would move and those who don't have a relationship with you would seek someone to pray with today, that that could be reconciled. The Bible tells in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Paul wrote in Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We complicate things, you don't. If we beat our breasts before a holy God and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. If you are willing, you can make me clean. We will hear, I am willing, be clean. God, we pray that you would be magnified and made holy this weekend. And in this place, God, we lift this time to you to seek your face. May it be said that this house is a house of prayer. So God, we ask that you would bless this time as we seek your face. And we thank you for the word you brought to us today. In Jesus' name we pray.